Thank you very much. There were always uh, deviant groups in the Jewish people in the days of the second day Samigdash. We had the Tzdukim who chose not to follow the traditions of the Torah Shabbat Peh. We have a little book that's called Megillas Tainis. Uh, it was the first chunk of the Torah Shabbat Peh to be written down. Until the days of Megillas Tainis, the entire Torah Shabbat Peh was transmitted orally. And Megillas Tainis was the first thing to be written down before the Mishnais. Rashi comments that's why it's called Megillas Tainis, because it was Bixav. Just a question in the historians whether Pirkei Drebleza was written down first or Megillas Tainis. <coughs> which were instituted by the Rabbanim during the period of the second base on Migdosh. Um, some of them were celebrated for one day, for three days, for seven days, for 15 days. And uh, these were Yamim Taifim that had to do with the victories of the Hashmanoim uh, against the enemies in preserving the base on Migdosh and improving the institutions of the Beis HaMikdosh, improving the Korbanus, improving the structure of the Beis HaMikdosh. And several of the Yamim Taifim that were celebrated, that were instituted by the Rabbanim, were celebrated when they were, when the Rabbanim were victorious against the Tzedukim. Uh, there were periods of time that the Bezna HaGodol, which is supposed to meet in the Beis HaMikdosh, is a, the Great Sanhedrin is a function of the Beis HaMikdosh, that the Beis HaGodol was run by these tzedukim who didn't follow the traditions of the Torah Shabbat Peh. So when the issues of Torah Shabbat Peh were straightened out, this was considered an improvement in one of the institutions of the Beis HaMikdosh. So the Brisa in Megillah's Tainus records, it's, there's a long yontif, starts from the, uh, the first eight, eight days in Nisan uh, was a yontif, uh, it took eight days for the Chachamim to convince the Tzedukim that they should give up on their position. There was a dispute regarding Hakrabas, Karbanas, Tzibur, the Tamidim of Musaf and the Beis Hamikdash. Is it acceptable if one person puts up all the money for the Tamidim of Musaf? So the tradition has it that it's not acceptable, that the money has to come dafka from the Machza Shekel. Everybody has to give the same amount of money, wealthy or poor. No one's allowed to give more than anybody else. No one's allowed to give less than anybody else. Otherwise, it's not called Karbanas, Tzibur. And the Tzedukim felt not so. We'll hang up a plaque in the front of the Beis HaMikdash. All the Karbonists this year were donated by Mr. and Mrs. Uh, so-and-so on behalf of the Tzibur. So that was not acceptable. So there were years uh, in the Beis HaMikdash that it was run, things were run the way that Tzedukim felt. And when it was finally straightened out, the Chachamim Institute of that was the first eight days in Chodeshness. Then on another occasion, there was a dispute between the Tzedukim and the Chachamim regarding the Yantav of Shavuos. The Tzedukim did not accept the tradition of the Torah Shabbat Peh. begins with HaShabbos on the first day, Chalamite Pesach. But rather, Mimachas HaShabbos, he start counting Sphira on a Sunday. The first Sunday uh, after Pesach, and Mimei Shavuos would always fall out on a Sunday, and it would always be an extended weekend. Uh, you would observe Shabbos, then uh, Pesach is a whole week, and Sukkot is, uh, is uh, eight days. And Shavuos is never only one day, so that's why the Torah established that Shavuos should always be on a Sunday, so you have an extended weekend. And this was the way the uh, Tzdukim were running the Beis HaMikdash. They were, they were observing Shavuos always on a Sunday and counting Sphira differently from the, way every, from the way the tradition had it. So there was a big debate. This was the time of Rabbi Yechonimant Zaka. Rabbi Yechonimant Zaka was the chief rabbi of the Sanhedrin for 40 years. 
the last 40 years of his life, he was the head of the Sanhedrin. And the Gemara records, and the Megillus Tainus records, that he had this debate with the Tzdukim, and they finally gave in. Uh, so that was a yontav that was established from, they celebrated this victory against the Tzdukim from the 8th of Nisan to the end of Pesach. They had a debate that was going uh, over a week till they finally won. The Megillus Tainus records that the Tzdukim didn't accept Ein Tachasayin as meaning payment of money. They felt that it should be understood kipshuto, kashiyose ken yasalo, ayin tachasayin. They understood the pasuk of first, so hasimlo, kipshuto. And they understood over here also, mimachos hashabbos kipshuto. They rejected the Torah Shabalpeh. So orthodox means that we subscribe to the Torah Shabalpeh. We follow the traditions of the Torah Shabalpeh in interpreting the psukim. We have a famous Gemara Masech Shabbos in Perak by Memad Likin where the Gemara tells the story that uh, a non-Jew came to convert. And first he approached Shammai, and then he approached Til. So he came to Shammai and he says, I'd li- I'm interested in converting, but I only, want, I only plan to accept the Torah Shabbat. I do not plan to accept the Torah Shabbat. So Shammai told him, go fly kite. And when he came to Hillel, so Hillel said, okay, we'll work on it. So Hillel converted him. And then he started teaching him Aleph Beis, Gimel Dalet. He started teaching him the Hebrew alphabet to be able to read. Then the next day, the Ger, the candidate for conversion, it sounds like he already converted before he knew how to read Hebrew. That's a simple reading of the Gemara. Next day, the Ger comes back, and the Hill starts telling him, Aleph Beis is Gimel Dalet, Gimel Dalet is Aleph Beis. So the Ger says, what do you mean? But just yesterday, you told me, Fakert, what are you telling me? What are you changing your mind? So he said, you see, you have to rely on what I say. That's Torah Shabbat Peh. So rely on what I say with respect to all the traditions of the Torah Shabbat Peh also. So somehow the Ger was convinced that this is a valid argument, and he, uh, he accepted the whole Torah Shabbat Peh. Accepting the Torah Shabbat Peh's understanding of the Torah Shabbat Sav implies that we subscribe to Emunas Chachamim. Emunas Chachamim doesn't mean that it's like an oracle, is that doesn't mean that the rabbis are infallible. Amunas Chachami means that we assume that the rabbis are not pulling a leg, that uh, they're uh, probably having a divine assistance to figure out what the correct din is. And whatever they tell us, they have a tradition that they're not lying, that they're telling us the truth. Amunas Chacham, they're telling us the truth. And they don't have an agenda. The record records uh, what those who study Yeridei, you know, on the first page of Yeridei, page Aleph, Aleph, uh, the Shach has in the tiny letters on the side of the page in the Nekudus HaKesef and his footnotes on the Shach. So he has a discussion that every, very often the Pasuk appears in Chumash, Dabel B'nei Yisrael ve'amartu aleim. So sometimes the Tanoim will say the phrase B'nei Yisrael comes to exclude Gerim. This din does not apply to a convert. And most of the time it does not come to exclude Gerim. So how do the rabbis know when to darshan that it excludes a Gerim and when not? So the Shach says you have to have a feel for it. You have to know based on the context, but it makes sense. It says, So a Gerim doesn't have to wear tzitzit, the same thing. Most of the mitzvahs in the Torah doesn't make sense to exclude a Gerim. And once in a while there'll be a Pasuk where the rabbis will understand that the phrase B'nai Yisrael comes to the exclusion of Gerim. We have a parsha in the Chumash, unusual parsha in Parshas Nasa, the law of Sota. It's the one and only instance where the Torah promises a miracle that will promise throughout all, all the future generations. We normally have a principle, we cannot assume that God is going to bring about a miracle. Here, God promises he's always going to cause a miracle to occur. 
if a man suspects his wife of being unfaithful to him, and there was Kino, he warned her in advance that he thinks that she's having an affair with someone else, and uh, he warns her in the presence of witnesses, then there's Thera, and you have witnesses who testify that she went into a room with this, per with this individual whom the husband has choshed her with, so if the Avkina is Thera, he should take his wife, to he's not allowed to live with his wife anymore, the Saita is Asura Labailo, he has to take her to Beis Amigdash and she has to drink the Maim Hamorim. Maim Hamorim is bitter, but it's not poisonous at all. It's not poisonous. If you have water and you mix in a little sand from the ground, it doesn't taste too good, but it's not going to be poisonous. So the Torah promises a miracle if the woman is guilty of uh, incest. So a miracle will occur, her body will, will blow up. Will, will, uh, she'll be bloated and her eyes are going to bulge and she, her, her blood vessels are going to bulge and she's going to die Misa Mishuna, an unusual death, which should not be caused by drinking the water that doesn't taste good. And in the event that she's innocent, that she didn't sin, she didn't violate Lysinov, so then a miracle is promised in the other direction, that even if the woman until now did not, was not able to have any children, so a miracle is promised that the woman she'll be able to have children. In fact, the Talmud Yerushalmi relates that there were women who were unable to have children, so they made believe that they were doing something improper so that the husbands would be them, and they went through the whole rigmarole, they had kinu astir, and then, and then the miracle was promised that they had a child. That was a method of, of twisting God's arm to force the Rabbanu Shalom to give them uh, children. So this is a miracle that was promised for the Jewish people, and that parasha begins with the phrase, Dabel B'nai Yisrael. So there's a dispute among the Tanoim whether the phrase B'nai Yisrael comes to exclude uh, a woman who's married to a ger. So there's a machlekes, or the mashkim is hagiyoris, there ain't mashkim is hagiyoris. doesn't mean a giyoris, it means Mrs. Ger. They call her giyoris. She's not a giyoris, her husband is a ger. Did the Torah promise the miracle only if he was born, if the, if the husband was born to the Jewish people? He's naturally Jewish all the way back, or the Torah promises this miracle even if the husband happens to be a gear. So the Gemara quotes that there were two Tanoim, Shmai Talion, who were either they themselves were Gerim, or they were descendants of Gerim. That's a question exactly uh, what their background was, but it's clear from the Talmud that they themselves were not born to the Jewish people. They were at least descendants of Gerim. And they lived it during the days of the second base Amigdosh. So the Talmud quotes that uh, Shmaya was of the opinion that the mashkim is that the ger has the exact same promise of the miracle that a, a regular Jew has, and if the ger's wife is a soito, so you have her drink the maimamarim, and the miracle will occur. So one of the balabatim during the days of the second base Hamikdash said, "Well, I could have told you that with my eyes closed. Of course, he's going to argue the case out to favor the ger. He himself is either a ger or a descendant of ger. So of course, his agenda is to give equal rights to the ger." So the Mishnah records that they put the Balabas in Cherem. That you're not allowed to say that. To say that uh, there are faker rabbis, there are rabbis who are just fakers, they don't know how to learn, they're just paskin based on their uh, political considerations. But if you're talking about an honest-to-goodness Tamachocham, Shmai Rabtalim, one was the chief rabbi, one was the assistant chief rabbi. So if you're talking about the prominent Talmud HaChachamim, so we're supposed to assume that's what it means, Amunas Chachamim, that the Rabbanim developed their opinions not based on political consideration, not based on their social connections, but rather based on the way they view the Psukim and Chumash, based on the context of the Chumash. Does it make sense to exclude Germa? Does it not make sense to exclude Germa? So this was always the principle of Amunas Chachamim. Uh, one who believes in Torah Shabal Peh means that we believe that the rabbis transmit the traditions of the Torah Shabal Peh. And every so often the rabbis will develop the Torah Shabbat Peh. 
using the principles of Midrash Atar and develop it based on what they think the din should be, not based on uh, an agenda that they have in their mind. We have a principle, Asei Lohorav, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Obis, we're supposed to ask the Shailas of the Rabbanim. Some of the Rishonim consider this one of the 613 mitzvahs. There are 248 mitzvahs, so some of the Rishonim count. If a person does not what the din is, he should ask the Beznagor, he should ask his rabbi. So some Rishonim count that as one of the 613 mitzvahs. Whenever a person has a shayla, he should present the shayla to the big rabbonim. He should get a psak. The psak has to be, the, who, who is qualified, who is qualified uh, to pask in a shayla? So you're going to pick a person who does know, does know Shulchan Aruch, let's say today. You're going to pick a person who does know Gemara, does know Shulchan Aruch. What is he, an oracle? A miracle is going to happen. Baruch is going to cause a miracle to happen. That the donkey is going to come up with the right answer. We can't expect the Rabbanu Shalom to do a miracle. If it's a person who's knowledgeable, so we assume that he's going to have a divine assistance to see to the Shemai, to come up with the right psa. So first you have to pick a person who is knowledgeable. Then you have to have, there are people who know what it says in Shulchan Aruch, but they're stupid. Unfortunately, they're stupid people. You have to have an intelligent person. Then you have to have a patient person. He should sit and listen to all the details of the case. There are Rabbanim that I know, that you know, that we all know. That before you finish telling them this story, they already have the answer for you. They didn't listen to the story yet. They already make up their minds when they just hear half of the story. You have to be patient. You have to have the adult to sit and listen to the whole Shiloh. Then you have to have an honest person. A lot of times the rabbi will paskin for the balabas when he knows the balabas wants to hear. This is a wealthy balabas. He's the president of the shul. So I better say lahakel or lahachmer, whatever, whatever I know he wants me to say. He wants me to say lahachmer. Remember, one of the rabbis was trying to convince me I should leave Washington Heights. I should move to Flatbush. Herschel, that'll be the best thing for you. You should open up a shtibel, Nusach Ashkenaz. We need a Nusach Ashkenaz, a shtibel in Flatbush. But one thing, you don't have to tell them all of your kulas. You're not have to tell them all of your lenient position. They like the hechumris in Flatbush. You don't, you'll go out of business. Don't tell them any kulas. Just uh, give sure. So, so the Aseluch Arab, you have to ask the Shaila to a Tamachachm who seems to be knowledgeable, who seems to be honest, who seems to be intelligent, uh, that he should give, uh, he should give a correct psak. Uh, Years ago, they always used to joke about uh, the Mizrahi, that the Mizrahi had their own Rabbonim, and they didn't always say the same as the Aguda Rabbonim. So the Aguda used to make fun of the Mizrahi, that Esav says, Yesh li rov, I have my own rabbi. Yeshli Rab Nechumish has a different meaning, but that we have our own rabbi, yeah. The Mizrahi has the right, I subscribe to Mizrahi. Mizrahi has the right to have the Rabbanim, but they have to be knowledgeable, they have to be honest, they have to be Yeresh they have to be humble. The Gemara says one of the reasons why we pass like the Basilo against the Beishamai, one reason is because they were in the majority, number two, because they were more humble than the Beishamai. It doesn't mean that the Beishamai were arrogant, but the Gemara says the Basilo were more humble. What does humility have to do with Psak Halacha? When they graduate college, you give them the humility award. But you give them a, an honor. But why should, the, why should the reward be that we pass like that? And the answer is that a person who's arrogant, he thinks that he's God's gift to the world. Whatever he thinks the dinner is, and shine, that's the dinner. He's not open-minded enough to listen to what anybody else has to suggest. A person who's humble will listen to someone else's suggestion. Sometimes he'll admit that he made a mistake. The suggestion that the other person made is, is more correct than my suggestion. So these are all the conditions that are necessary. When a person asks a shayla, we have a mitzvah to ask a shayla. So the shayla should be asked of honest to goodness, not some charlatans. And they should be sincere people with Yerushalayim and humility. 
and so on and so forth. Should be a person who doesn't have any agenda. We know historically that at the beginning of the reform movement, the main chisarim was, the beginning of the reform movement, they were strictly orthodox. The changes that they instituted were api halacha, they're api shulchan aruch. The first major change that they instituted was really what it says in shulchan aruch, that when you daven b'tzibur, you're permitted to daven in, in the vernacular. The Gemara says it's not proper to daven in Aramaic. So some of the commentaries on the Gemara, the Rabbit writes in the Sefer Tamim Deim, and the truth is that Aramaic doesn't mean Aramaic, it means whatever the vernacular is. So then it's not proper to, if you live in Germany, you're not allowed to daven in German. That was the common, that was the spoken language in the street. But the, the Shulchan Aruch quotes from the Gemara, if you're davening b'tzibur, so the Pasuk says, Hein kel kabir lo yimos, so we don't need the angels to present our prayers to God. The prayers go directly. So you can even daven in the vernacular. So it says in Shulchan Aruch. So they translated the Siddur into German. And they daven with Siddur in German. They, they didn't feel that it's necessary to ask a Shailah because it says in Shulchan Aruch. You only have to ask a Shailah. If you don't know what the din is, but if you know what the din is, it says in Shulchan Aruch, there's no other interpretation. So why should you have to ask a Shailah? So that was Eisgehalten. That was correct. Then the next major change that the Institute, it also says in Shulchan Aruch that is Lahakal. They engage the non-Jew to play the organ in the synagogue to enhance the davening. That says in the Mogan Avram, the Mogan Avram quotes the Chua Saratvaz, that if the Minigam Mokam is that you always play music at a Shevet Brachas, so you permitted to have a non-Jew play music on a Shabbos de Keshevet Brachas because that's a Shvuz de Shvuz B'Makam Mitzvah. If the Jew plays the piano, if the Jew plays the guitar, or an organ, whatever. If a Jew plays the music, it's only an Issa Derabonon Mashmiakol. So if we ask a non Jew to play music, it's a double Derabonon. It's what we call the Shvuz, the Shvuz, 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 Mamaka Mitzvah is legitimate. The Psak and Shochan that it's Mutter. So the Mogan Abram says this you're permitted to, have, to engage non Jews to play music at a Shevard Bachas on Shabbos. So what's so wrong? So they engaged non-Jews to play the organ on Shabbos to enhance the davening. They felt it's really going to enhance the davening. Because in the churches, they used to have uh, people play the organ and not enhance the prayers in the church. So they felt it was going to be the same over here. The only mistake that they made was they didn't consult any of the G'doli Hador. There were major G'dolim in that generation. Rabbi Akiva Eger and the Hassam Soif and Rabbi Ephraim Zalmama Goliath and many others. Why do you have to consult the G'doli Hador? It says in Shulchan Aruch that it's mutter. The answer is, you still have to ask, if you're introducing Sof Kal Sof, it is a major change. Even if it says in Shulchan Aruch that it's permissible, they should have still consulted the Gdoli So look what happened. Look what happened from the Reform Movement. That's how it started, because they didn't consult the Gdoli Not talking about like in our generation. There's a... The hang-up, the every, every Shaila has to be presented to Rav Yasha. That's ridiculous. Traditionally in Europe, every community, the, the Balabatim would ask the local Orthodox rabbi, well, if it was a difficult shaila, the rabbi would ask Rabbi Chaim Moser, he would ask uh, another prominent rabbi. You're up to send all the shailas to thee, God Lador Mamish. They never had such a thing. This is because in our generation we have telephones, we have fax machines, and we have uh, email and everything like this. Uh, any shaila, anybody sneezes anywhere in the world, what does Rabbi Yashiv say? That's ridiculous. Normal is that the local rabbonim, but they knew that they weren't a G'dole Hador. They knew they should have asked a Shadah to someone else. They were following Shulchan Aruch, but they still should have consulted others, and the G'dole Hador were all opposed to this. So that's the definition of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is we follow the traditions of the Torah Shabal Peh, as transmitted by the G'dole HaTorah. G'dole HaTorah doesn't mean the Vadmats is G'dole HaTorah of the Aguda. I'm not talking politics. Yes, the Shilas of the Rabbanim. 
I remember uh, about uh, 15 years ago, I happened to be visiting in uh, Los Angeles. So one of the Rabbanim there, not from YU, one of the Rabbanim there asked me, uh, he'd like to invite me over to eat lunch by him. So I said, fine. So uh, his wife uh, was teaching, so he made a tuna fish sandwich for lunch. I was there, he made a tuna fish sandwich. So he's a very interesting conversationalist. He's known as a big Tamachachim. So he tells me that the Aguda just then, about 15 years ago, just started to have mini conventions on the West Coast. And he said, they invited me to speak, and I think it's going to be the last time they're ever going to have me speak. So I said, why? What did you say already? So he says he told the story, and he sat down. So I said, what was the story? So he told a fascinating story that his, he's up his, his parents are from Denmark or something, somewhere from Scandinavian countries over there, and his father and his mother's brother were uh, good friends before his parents got married, and they both went from wherever he lived, in, the, wherever the parents lived in Denmark or something like that, they went to learn by Rabbi Hanna in Baranovich. And the Second World War broke out, September 1st, I guess, 1939. So the, father, the fathers wired money to the children, and they, they called them, I don't know how they called them, what, what telephone there was, they somehow they contacted them, they must come home immediately today, and uh, they should uh, take a train to Warsaw, and they'll have a few hours wait, and then they should take the train from Warsaw to Scandinavia, wherever they lived, and when the two, three hours that they're waiting in Warsaw, they should go to the Aguda office, or a bitch Levine headed the Aguda office, and one of the two fathers of the two boys was the head of the Aguda in Scandinavia. So he said, give regards from the father. Say who you are and give regards. So the boys went to Rabbi Khan of Asman and they said they have to leave the yeshiva because the war broke out. They said, uh, Rabbi Khan hadn't heard yet that there was a war. So he said, they should go to Chaim Alasham. So they took the train to Warsaw and they quickly found the Aguda office to see a long line of people waiting online to speak to Rabbi Shemai Levine. So they're also waiting online. So as it comes a little closer, they're the 15th one on the line. So they're looking ahead and they can't figure out what's going on. Rabbi Shemai Levine is talking on a telephone and talking to the people at the same time. They couldn't make out heads or tails what's going on. They come a little closer, that's exactly what's happening. Talking on telephone, talking to the people at the same time. So it came their turn. So they said, the two Bachram from Scandinavia, whatever, regards to my father, we're learning about Rabbi and the war broke out and the father said, Sure, say thanks for the regard. Then they say, by the way, what's going on? You're talking to the people, you talk on the phone at the same time. Who's on the other side of the phone? So Rabbi Shemai Levine says, the people are asking me, all the people on there ask me, should we run to Russia? Should we run to Germany? Should we go here? Should we go there? How do I know? Rabbi Chaim is on the other side of the phone. <laughs> Chaim lives in Vilna. I have him on the phone. I, can't, I tell him all the stories and he tells me what the decision should be. So this uh, Tamar Chochm said, he spoke at the Aguda Convention the mini convention that they had, and he said, he just told the story, and he said, that's what the Aguda is supposed to be. Abraham is supposed to be on the other side of the phone, and he sat down. So I, I didn't even know I was such a nar. I didn't know what that meant. So he tells me, the Aguda, they don't consult the The one who runs the office in New York makes all the decisions, and then once a year, when the Rabbanim get together, so they, whoever runs the office tells the Rabbanim what decisions they make, so okay, but the other, that's what they did, so leave it like that. But they're not consulted. He said, that was what he, he said, the story, the Aguda, that's what the Aguda is supposed to be. He's supposed to be consulting the Talmud HaChacham. He's supposed to have input. That's what orthodoxy is supposed to be. He's supposed to consult the Talmud HaChacham. Even a Shaila that you know the answer, that you think you know the answer. That is permissible to daven in the vernacular when you daven in B'tzibur. 
Or you're permitted, the Magan Avram says like this. Others don't agree. The Magan Avram says it's permissible, quotes the Radras, it's permissible to have a non-Jew play the musical instruments on Shabbos. Uh, for the sake of the Sheva Brochus, he considers that a Shuz, the Shuz, the Mitzvah. So, so that's what they introduce. So still, they should have consulted uh, the Gdoli Hador, and they would have heard that, uh, that they were all upset about this. Rav Soloveitchi used to have one of his favorite rushes. Uh, I remember once, I remember once Dr. Lisman, that was Rav Soloveitchik's uh, brother-in-law. He was a professor of math in the yeshiva, so he used to live in the Bronx, and he used to dub my Rabbi um, Hollander. So when his son was bar mitzvah, so Rabbi Gorelick had a, a shul in the same neighborhood, a few blocks away. Rabbi Gorelick was a very colorful uh, character with a special, with a capital K. <laughs> a very colorful person. So Rabbi Gorelick put an advertisement in the Yiddish newspaper. There used to be a Yiddish newspaper, all of us, used to come out every day. Then, then it started coming out weekends, right? So he put an advertisement in the newspaper, Chochem Balu here, Rav Soloveitchik is coming. It was coming because of the Bar Mitzvah, and he's going to speak in his shul. Rav Soloveitchik never agreed. He printed in the newspaper, he's going to speak in my shul between Mincha and Marv. So everybody came to the shul. So Rav Soloveitchik had no choice. He had to give it rush. The mazel was, it was Parshas Koyach. So Rav Soloveitchik had this rush on Parshas Koyach that he said many times. He delivered the drosh in Eretz Yisrael, Parshas Korach, when he was there in 1935 for the Rabbonus. And he delivered it many times. One of the famous drushes that's published in English in the collection of uh, drushes by Rav Salvage. So he spoke about the common sense rebellion. That Korach made a whole revolution against Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Rav said, if I would be there, I would join with Korach. What's going on over here? This Moshe Rabbeinu, he takes the whole, the top position. He appoints his brother as the, as the Kohen Godel. Everything is grabbing all the kibbutim for himself. And nothing makes any sense. He's passing the shalas that don't make any sense. If you have a white beggar, you put in one string of trellis in the corner, and the whole beggar is trellis. You still need trellis. The whole beggar is trellis. Yeah, but one mezuzah on the door is okay. The whole house is full of swarm sifre Torah. You need another mezuzah. What do you need? One mezuzah. You have sifre Torah in the house. Common sense dictates like Korach. So what's the answer? So the answer is, Yerashamai means, one of the recurrent themes in Rav Soloveitchik's drushes in print, Yerushalayim means that a person has to surrender his intelligence and his feelings to the Rabbani Shalom. If the Rabbani Shalom says, this is a din, so this is the din, and the din is determined by the Talmud HaChacham, whatever they think makes sense. Common sense plays a significant role in establishing what the halacha is. We have the Yud Gimel Mira Shatar and that appear in the Siddha before Baruch Shamar, and so on. So they say the name of Chaim Soloveitchik, but there's a 14th Mida that wasn't mentioned, Svara. Common sense. The Gemara has Lamali cross Svarahu. Whatever is Svara, whatever is common sense. You don't need a Pasuk, that's a Dindarais. But Svara doesn't always win the day. Svara has its place. Sometimes Svara works and sometimes Svara doesn't work. So Moshe Rabbeinu said over here, the common sense of Koirach uh, did not work. There were certain issues that came up in recent years that did not have the approval of when they started hakafas for women. So Rav Soloveitchik didn't want to say that it's prohibited. He's going to say it's also, the people are going to do it anyway, so then they're not going to listen to anything that you say. So he said, but they should understand, if it's Shaloi B'Tzon Chacham, if they understand that I'm unhappy about it, that should be enough that they shouldn't institute it. But the people didn't feel so. So he's unhappy, so what? Who says you have to make Rav Soloveitchik happy? An Orthodox Jew does things that he thinks have the approval of the Rabbonim. You don't have to wait till the rabbi says, absolutely awesome. His, his policy was, 
The people have, you have to know his language. Those who learned by Rav Soloveitchik, you would ask him, I don't get along with my mother-in-law. Is it okay if I, if I shoot her? So you say, I wouldn't recommend it. That would be his, I wouldn't recommend it. That was, he had a sense of humor. That was, he had a very good sense of humor. That was his way of speaking. So when it came to the Hakafis issue, so he felt that it, he, he didn't think it's smart to say it's usser, because a lot of people are not going to listen. So they, they already decide, well, we're not, orthodox, we're not listening to Rabbi Salvej, we don't have to listen to anything that these, these rabbis say anyway. But he felt that it should be sufficient for them if they understand that he's unhappy about it, they shouldn't do it. Or the issue of having women recite Kabbalah Shabbos. All of the prominent Rabbanim are opposed. Or the issue of giving smicha to women, women, rabbis. All of the prominent Rabbanim are opposed. Who are the Rabbanim who approved it? They dug up some rabbis in Eretz Yisrael. We are Talmidim of these rabbis. The people in America and the different communities where they want, which shaykhs do we have? What, these are the Gdoli Hador? They dug up this rabbi, insignificant names. Every person is supposed to follow his Rebbe. Or if it's a very prominent Tamachacham, so the Gdole Hador have the status of Rabbi Muvok. That says in Shulchan Aruch, based on Atosis, based on Gemaris. Uh, per, every person is supposed to follow the opinions of his Rebbe Muvok. Unless the Talmud is already he's entitled to his own opinion, then he has the right to disagree with the Rebbe. But we don't have so many great Talmud Chacham among, among the Balabatim. So the Balabatim are supposed to follow Rebbe Muvok. Who's the Rebbe Muvok? What do you mean? The local Orthodox rabbi? It's a joke. You know, you know, you know that you know, local Orthodox rabbi is not really entitled to an opinion on such a major issue. You know, all the prominent rabbonim are opposed. Obviously, this is not Orthodox. They're not interested in following the opinion of the rabbon. There is a Yalkut uh, Shemayni, a Sefer Alikot of Midrashim, presented according to Tanakh. Then there's a Yalkut Horuveni, Alikot of unusual uh, Midrashi Plia. So there's a comment that appears in the Yalka Toraveni on the Vahim and Sohar and the Parshas Bahaloischa. So you have Nun and Hafuchim, you have backwards Nun before and after this. What is the Nun and Hafuchim supposed to represent? So Dr. Lamb is fond of saying over this Yalka Toraveni. The Nun, the Nun in Aramaic is a fish. Nun Hafuch is a fish that's swimming backwards. What do you mean swimming? How can you swim backwards? It means against the tide. What does it represent swimming against the tide? The Gemara says in Masechah Sabadizar, when they're talking about how do you determine, how do you establish the kashvah of a fish, so the Gemara says at one point, the fish has to have a backbone that it should be able to swim against the tide. If it doesn't have a backbone, it can only swim with the tide, can't swim against tide, then it's not kosher. Okay. So Dr. Lehm used to say over this comment from the, from the Yalkut Horiveni, the Jew, the Orthodox Jew, has to be a nun hafuch. He has to be able to swim against the tide. There are many people, they just want to go with the tide. The whole world is pushing in this direction, so we'll go along. That's not orthodox. Orthodox means we have the wherewithal to stand, again, to swim against the tide. The orthodox are always going against the tide. We're always, uh, we're always alone. Orthodox people have to have a backbone. They have to be able to stand up for, for their shittas. The psokim that we follow, each group follows their own rabbanim. There's nothing wrong with that. The aguda follows their rabbanim, fine. The Mizrahi follows their Rabban. The Agudi used to make fun of the Mizrahi. That's like Esau says, Yesh Rav, so they have Rabban. Baruch Hashem, the Mizrahi has a fine, prominent Rabban who are entitled to an opinion. It's not, it's not as bad as, uh, as the Agudi used to describe it. The Neturi Karta used to have big Rabbanim who developed their Shita. Satmar Rebbe was big Tamachachim. 
the people that I know don't agree at all with the Satmar Rebbe's opinion about Eretz Yisrael, but he was entitled to his opinion. But the shtick that the Nidhuri to do, that to have a, a counter-demonstration whenever there's a, a, a demonstration, that the Satmar Rebbe never approved of, that they don't have. Who do they have? Who, do they have? who supports it? Have some shmoyger rabbi who who says some 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 guy who calls himself a rabbi, who says that uh, this is what you have to do. So, so that's like that's like the Ishkotzim. That's not orthodox. These guys are not orthodox. All the Babich, Babich rabbi was a big tamachacham. You read all the sfarim that are big tamachacham. All the shtick that they do now the Babich, this was all approved by the Babich rabbi. They see to say yechiyad and to pray to the rabbi. The Rebbe never approved this. So who did approve it? They have such ge'oinim in Lubavitch who are approved. They don't have. They, they have some big tamil chachamim. The big tamil chachamim in Lubavitch do not approve these things. And the Terekarta doesn't have bechlal big tamil chachamim. They had one Satmar Rebbe and he passed away a long time ago. All of the shtick that they have now is not approved by big tamil chachamim. That's not orthodox. Basically, it's not orthodox. I remember one of the, we had a meeting with Dr. Lamb many years ago. Dr. Lem had this series, he's kept on talking about Torah Mada, Torah Mada. I think someone gave three quarters of a million dollars to the yeshiva to, to try to figure out what Torah Mada is. So they had to figure out how they're going to spend the three quarters of a million dollars. So the first thing, invited Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein to come speak, so that cost money for the year. <laughs> Traveling, that so took forever until they spent the three quarters. I think they still didn't spend the three quarters. How, how can you spend so much money on, uh, on trying to figure out what Torah Mada is? So one of the rabbeim, when we met with Haktalim, one of the rabbeim said, he was walking to the shiva one day up 184th Street, and there was a boy and a girl who were not married, who were walking hand in hand. So the rabbi walked, approached this, the boy and the girl, and he said, you're not married, you're not allowed to hold hands. So the boy said, Torah mother. <laughs> <laughs> so Haktalim was all infuriated. What do you mean Torah mother? So he said, you keep on talking about Torah Mada, what it is. You have to explain what it isn't. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. People then kept on talking about centrist orthodoxy, centrist. That people thought centrist means there's 613 mitzvahs. In the center, you observe 310. <laughs> so you're in the center. So he said, no, he got all furious. No, that's not what it means. So, so the next time he spoke in public in Lampert Auditorium about Torah Mada, so he said, and it does not mean... He didn't say by holding hands, he said, it does not mean that from the 613 mitzvahs you keep uh, 300 mitzvahs, 310. That's not centrist orthodoxy. Centrist means you observe all the mitzvahs, but you're reasonable about it, that we live in a world and uh, you go to university and you support Medina Israel and you give women's education. It doesn't mean you violate mitzvahs in the Torah. That's not centrist. Dr. Liam said on another occasion, if years ago there was a, the Salute to Israel parade. So there was an ASIC whether yeshiva should march or not because one year there was going to be a group of uh, Jewish gays who were going to march. So the question is, does it make sense that we should march in the same parade when they have the Jewish gays march? So Dr. Lane was furious. He said, what do you mean? In Europe they used to have, the shoemakers used to have their own shul in the, some, some communities. Uh, the tailors used to have their own shul. But he had, and it was known, this is a Schuster shul, this is a Schneider shul. Did you, have a, you ever have a shul? Kilo Kaddish, Mechal Shabbos? Mechal Shabbos shul. What do you mean? Well, you have the shul that they have, uh, Simchas Torah. What do you mean Simchas? The gay shul is called the Simchas Torah. What do you mean a gay shul? If, the, if a, a group decides they're going to throw out one of the mitzvahs in the Torah, and that's their shita, so that's not orthodox, that's not Jewish. That's Tachmamish reform. What do you mean you throw out? Everybody violates uh, some of the mitzvahs once in a while. Some of my best friends talk Lashon Har. 
I know people who cheat on income tax. Some of my best friends cheat on income tax. Absolutely awesome. No hetero whatsoever. Cheat on income tax. But uh, uh, people have a Yetzirah. People have a Yetzirah. Men have a Yetzirah for women. So they, so they violate those Averis also. But you don't make a whole sheet out of it. You don't say that this is centrist. Orthodoxy means we keep 310 mitzvahs. We'll do God a favor, 315. <laughs> what, what do you mean? That's not orthodoxy. Orthodox means you subscribe to all of the 613 mitzvahs. You try the best you can to observe as many of the mitzvahs as possible. The Iker is just the sum up. The Iker is that orthodoxy means throughout all the generations we subscribe to the Torah Shabbat Peh as transmitted by the Tamir HaChamim and not Stam Tamir HaChamim. I teach in Yeshiva, I mark Pechina. So some of the students get hundreds and some of the students get fifties. Yeah. You want to ask a shalav at tamachach? You have to tamachach. Honest to goodness, tamachach. A guy gets hundreds. A guy gets ninety fives. So there should be a ninety five percent chance that he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Everybody learned by the rav, but they didn't. They don't know. They didn't all get ninety fives. I used to mark the bechinas. <laughs> I remember the first time the rav asked me to mark the bechina, so I gave him the pile of bechinas. So the top bechina said eight. So the rav said eight out of ten. I said, eight out of a hundred. <laughs> and this was a boy that the Rav loved. The Rav loved this boy. Because his father had learned by him years before, so as Chus as he loved him. So the Rav wanted me to fool him, so the Rav asked, but the eight percent that he answered, did he, did he understand it? <laughs> so I said, yes, the eight, oh, all right, as long as he understood the eight percent, what are you talking about? So this guy's a big spokesman, he speaks in the name of the Rav, he understands the Rav, he's to sit right under the Rav's nose. That's ridiculous. You ask a person an opinion in halach, has to be a person that got 95s, not the guy who got the 8, the guy who got the 50s. Orthodoxy means we follow the Torah Shabbat Peh, the tradition of the Torah Shabbat Peh, as transmitted by Tamir HaChachamim, honest to goodness Tamir HaChachamim, who know how to learn, who are honest individuals, who are humble. You have sometimes people are so arrogant. What, that's Tamir HaChachamim? How can, how can it be? I'll never be zeichet to say the emesipsak. Have to be humble people, have to be honest people, have to be a person who doesn't have an agenda. He's not pushing his own sheet. That's the definition of orthodoxy. And when you have groups like the Naturi Karate or the Lubavitch, they're doing things without any rabbinic approval whatsoever, without any prominent rabbinic approval whatsoever. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Rabbi Chalap is fond of telling over the story that on one occasion, his, uh, now everybody travels to Israel by plane, who goes by boat? But in the Friede Gederis, Rabbi Chalap's father was traveling by boat to Eretz Yisrael, and the same boat was the Satmer Rebbe. So they, it, it took a long time. It wasn't a 10-hour trip. It took a couple of days. I don't remember how long. It took a long time. A couple of weeks. So he says his father hit it off very well with the Satmer Rebbe, and it was before an election. They were going to Eretz Yisrael before an election. So his father with the Satmer Rebbe, they made up that the Satmer Rebbe is going to encourage all the Chassidim, all of his Chassidim, they should participate in the election, and they should vote for whatever candidate he thought was the best candidate. Then the Satmer Rebbe invited him that he should come, some Tish or something. So Rabbi Chalap's father came to the Tish. And then the Satmer Rebbe said they should, they're not allowed to participate in the election. So Rabbi Chalap almost fainted. What do you mean? But he made up with me. We're go, they're both going to say the same thing. They should participate in the election and vote to the former candidates. So after the whole tish was over, so he went over to the Satmar and said, but I thought we made up on the boat. We were talking so much. We made up. So he said, what can I do? The Chassidim pressured me into this. I'll lose all of my Chassidim if I'll say uh, what you said, what we made up. 
So I mean, they didn't have rabbinic approval. You had the Hamaynam uh, decided like this. What the Turakarta does now certainly has no rabbinic approval. Certainly has no rabbinic approval. This is not orthodox. Orthodox is when you have significant rabbinic approval based on the traditions of the Torah Shabbat And rabbinic approval means Tamir Chachamim, honest to goodness Tamir Chachamim. Thank you very much.